This is a Federal News Network podcast. The government publishing office wants to make every government document accessible online. Every government document. Let that sink in for a moment. For how they'll chase everything down and why, we turn to the GPO director, Hugh Halpern. Mr. Halpern, good to have you back. Good to be here, Tom. Great to talk with you as always. So when I read that announcement that you're going to try to digitize every government document, my first thought was, are they crazy? Is that even doable? Tell us more about this program. It's really very much an aspirational goal, and it's an announcement of work we've been doing for a very, very long time with our 1,100 federal depository library partners that we've been partnering with really since 1895 or thereabouts. And the goal is to try and bring in sort of two streams of information. So one is all of this new information that the government keeps creating, all these new documents. And even getting that corpus of information into our trusted digital repository, um, the only ISO certified digital repository in the world, GovInfo, that's a tall order. But we're also working with our federal depository library partners to look at the tangible collections that they have all over the country and really look at the information that they've got there, see what is missing from our centralized national collection, and try and digitize that and make it available. I mean, this isn't something that's going to be housed here at our GPO headquarters. It's really sort of collecting and uh, weaving together all of these documents that the government has produced over, you know, last 150 years and, and longer, and then going on into the future and making that accessible digitally, as well as maintaining those tangible collections. And these depository libraries throughout the country, these are still, for the most part, physical places that have physical holdings? Yeah, we have some that are digital only, but the vast majority have some mixture of a tangible collection and digital holdings as well. And if you look at some of these libraries, particularly in the middle of the country or out west, they've got collections that are very tailored to the regions they're in. You know, if you're up in the Great Lakes, it might be a lot of government documents centered on waterway maintenance or fishing. If you're out west, you're looking at things about how to work with grazing or, or other kinds of things that are of importance to folks in that region. And what we want to do is take that information, which has been built up over you know 150 years, and try and figure out what's the highest value stuff and make that available to everybody across the country and, frankly, across the world. It sounds like one of the difficult tasks or subroutines here is to determine what it is that GPO centrally doesn't have already that you would have to get from the depository library. We have a great team that really works collaboratively with our partners out in these libraries. And Lori Hall, our superintendent of documents, really oversees a uh, fantastic team of librarians and, and information scientists who really work with folks out in the regions to figure out what they've got, how we can make that accessible, and frankly, how we can leverage some of the really innovative things that libraries have done in the pandemic, where even locally, they're faced with trying to support their patrons with some increased digital availability of their collections. 
We're speaking with Hugh Halpern. He's director of the government publishing office. And will this work require physical shipment of the items that you feel should be added to Washington for scanning? How will it work logistically? Yeah, I think we'll work that out on case-by-case basis. There are some things that we already have been ingesting digitally, where we bring the tangible items here to D.C. and scan them and ingest them. But there are lots of other options here. We can work with those libraries. We can use contractors. There's a lot of different options that don't necessarily involve us shipping large quantities of books back and forth. But we think it's a great opportunity to make a lot of information that was maybe a little bit harder to find in the past, make that available to everyone. At this point, then, there is probably a lot you don't know you have that is really fascinating stuff out there in the hinterlands. Probably a lot of things that we don't know that we have here in D.C., but these (laughs) really talented federal document librarians all over the country, they know what they have. Sometimes we help folks get reacquainted with their collections. I can think of one library in particular that was really frustrated that they had all these old books sort of taken up shelf space and they really wanted to get rid of them. And we sent out a couple of folks and went through it with them and were actually able to discover a huge trove of books and other documents that were pretty significant regional significance. And and I think that particular institution rethought its approach after we were able to visit. We really want to emphasize that kind of partnership going forward and really do what we can to work collaboratively with our library partners. So uh, last Wednesday was our Spring Depository Library Council meeting, and it's great to get those folks talking with us here in D.C. And these are the folks who advise GPO and and me about how we best work with these folks out in the regions. And my message to them is we want to learn from what you've learned during the pandemic and see what we can incorporate into what we do here in D.C. and how we can support those efforts out in the states and localities. And does this program have a deadline or a timeline? It sounds like something that could be continuously going. As I said at the outset, it's really our aspirational goal. And it's one of those things, if you talk about it enough, it'll actually come true. And we want to take the work that we've been doing, put a name to it, really develop this national collection of government information, and use that as a springboard so that we can really work to capture all of this new information that's being created, as well as go back historically and work to make older government information more accessible to everyone. And while we have you, you mentioned just a moment ago the pandemic, and now it seems like there's a little bit of blue sky in the clouds here for the pandemic in the United States. How has GPO done? It's been a tough time for GPO. We never stopped working completely. We still had to produce a congressional record and a federal register every day, and our teammates came in through the height of the pandemic to get that work done. We did have to work differently. So about a third of the agency is still teleworking, and that's actually been a huge success story for us. We've really discovered that a lot of our teammates are very, very productive when they're working at home or working remotely. And that's probably something we're going to incorporate into our uh, work habits going forward. We've put in place a uh, MaxiFlex schedule so that folks who, who are able to have lots and lots of flexibility about how they arrange their time. 
And we're looking to release a new telework policy here in the next few weeks, month or so that will really try to encourage teleworking and remote working into the future. And as we look at our office space here in D.C., we're looking to rearrange that so we have fewer cube farms and more collaborative spaces so that if folks are only coming in a couple days of pay period, we've got space that matches their needs for the time they're here in the building when they can work independently when they're at home or remote. And you recently hosted um, a vaccination clinic right there. We did. We did. So the other two-thirds of the agency, we're a manufacturing operation. So we make passports. We produce the congressional record, the Federal Register, congressional bills, all sorts of things here inside of our facility here in D.C. and our other facility down in Mississippi. And it's critical for us to get back to normal to have large portions of our workforce immunized. And we've been able to work with some really great partners to get some vaccine supplies and really try to get as many of our production folks as possible immunized here as quickly as we can. Right now, we're at about a third of the agency has gotten at least one vaccine dose. I'd like that number to be higher. We're working really hard to try and ramp that up. And we're doing that through a combination of outreach to our teammates and hosting vaccination clinics and doing all sorts of things like that. You know, if I can take a second, whether you work for GPO or not, I would really recommend everybody uh, go get vaccinated. It's really, really one of the key things that we need to, to get back to normal. And sort of a combination of getting folks vaccinated, really rethinking our operations here and focusing on safety, that's enabled us to bring, for instance, our passport folks back full strength back in January. And we're starting to ramp up our other production operations and have them at full strength. Hopefully some will be this month and some will be next. Hugh Halpern is director of the Government Publishing Office. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I always uh, love talking with you, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. 
The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime and uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, 
always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.